Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. Hey, we like to, or I would like to welcome you or to uh, the Root Legacy podcast. We haven't posted anything for a while because we've been in a little bit of a transition. Things have changed and job situations have uh, have not permitted us to continue the way that we had been posted and doing the podcast. But I really want to do the podcast. I want to do it in a different uh, a different format. I really want to do something to where it's uh, sort of like a, just a set down dialogue type deal, uh, maybe a, a question answer type deal. Tonight I'm going to be by myself uh, just because I felt the Lord kind of prompted me to get the ball rolling. I, by nature, am a procrastinator and I will put off. Uh, until tomorrow what I should and could do today uh, but this is just going to be the uh, the first initial evening and the first initial podcast that we do it's just a little set down kind of thing and uh, I want to discuss a few things that that is dear to my heart uh, right now I'm really leaning into this this wilderness reality the dimension of the wilderness not being lost in the wilderness, but finding myself in the wilderness. And really the truth to it is, is I'm, I say I'm, but you or anyone who feels the call or hears the call to go into the wilderness, be sure that it's something that you're hearing from God. Um. Because one thing that I have found out is that as as valuable of a treasure that I have found within the wilderness, it's been one of my biggest struggles. Uh, the aloneness that comes across as loneliness is one of the hardest things to bear, uh, and it's really it's really a wrong perspective. It's the uh, it's a wrong vision. It's, it's me understanding and perceiving and conceiving it wrong. Um, it's me knowing yet oddly refusing to understand that the aloneness is his intention. It's where he is intentionally getting me alone with him to where he can confide deeper secrets or confide in me with deeper deeper secrets with uh, more sacred and more sensitive secrets about himself it's where he wants an individual to come that they may that they may give themselves completely and solely to him 
and nothing and no one else. In the wilderness, is, it's, it's, it's a literal dimension, a spiritual dimension where everything you thought was valuable before becomes expendable. It actually becomes, um, it becomes unnecessary. It becomes uh, extra baggage, if you will. All the things that we have felt in times past and even in modern Christianity that are necessary, that are uh, a must, will come off of you in the wilderness. associations and acquaintances and networks that you have built, tried to build, thought you were building are going to come off of you in the wilderness. It's where you're going to find yourself alone and if you do not see it appropriately can be very, very detrimental to you spiritually. Uh, I've taught on the wilderness for, for the last couple of months uh, as the Lord has permitted me to and not that I was wrong in teaching uh, I won't recant or repent on what I've been teaching but I do realize now as I've been in deeper conversations with Holy Spirit that the wilderness is not for everybody it's not for everyone the wilderness is rejected and the wilderness man is very, very rarely accepted um, by their peers. And, uh, you know, is it a regretful somberness that you hear in my voice that, uh, about the wilderness? Well, it's not. It's not a regretful somberness. It, it is a somberness. Uh, maybe in part due to the fact that The only thing that I know that lies ahead, other than God, is uncertainty. And maybe that's one thing that is so hard about the wilderness, is the uncertainty, the unpredictability. Uh, and it's really teaching me to lean more on the presence of God. Uh, what I've heard from the Holy Spirit and what I've taught is that position and prestige and popularity and power um, and all of these things do not appeal to the wilderness man. The greatest pursuit that the wilderness man has is the presence of God. We so often look at the wilderness as a punishment, as a curse. And again, that, that's the wrong perspective. It's the wrong understanding. It's, it's certainly wrong in every aspect because the wilderness, if seen from the appropriate lens, will allow you to see things into deeper dimensions. And as I've taught over the last couple of weeks, there are things that will be shed from you and one of the biggest things is self the self loves to be acclaimed it loves to receive affirmation and uh, that's one thing in the wilderness that we have to learn is those things are fleshly tendencies and desires and 
to receive a, a claim and affirmation from men will begin to appease our, our, our flesh and our carnality. But always within the depth of our spirit, there'll be something missing. And the spirit longs for the acclaim and uh, the affirmation of the Father. And just like any child that misses that in life, struggles and is tormented deeply. And, you know, so I really think that there is this movement, whatever you may want to call it, of spiritual fathers or wilderness fathers that are going to emerge from a wilderness into a position or posture to father a fatherless generation. And uh, this is uh, somewhat new to me. It's um, a recent study that I've done. And uh, I'm going to try to keep tonight short. I'm going to try to stay within a 30-minute window. But I'm going to turn to... Uh, 1 Kings 17. I really didn't have any idea where I was going to go this evening, but that's kind of where I'm feeling led to go. We, uh, We're introduced here to a man named Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite, um, who is sent up to Gilead to speak to Ahab the king. And this is what he says. He says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall be not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the the brook Cherith that is before the Jordan and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there so he went and did according unto the word of the Lord for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the mornings and bread and flesh in the evenings and he drank of the brook and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up he became or because there had been no rain in the land. Now, this uh, is, is a wild man, literally, uh, a, you know, I think some refer to him as a wild branch. Uh, he's a Tishbite. There's, I think there's very little known of him or about him prior to this. Uh, nonetheless, uh, a, a man of God, a man of Jehovah, and uh, a very attentive hearer, of Jehovah and a very, very faithful, uh, a faithful servant, one who is obedient to the word of the Lord. He is sent into this place of wilderness after he speaks to the king. Uh, he says to Ahab, listen, it's not going to rain for this amount of time until I command it to according to my word. So, you know, get ready. And the Lord then begins to send him to 
a brook called Cherith, and or Cherith, however you want to pronounce it. And Cherith means uh, cutting, and that's significant if I get that far into this tonight. So he sends him into this wilderness himself alone, much like Jesus in John, uh, John chapter 6, verse 15. Himself alone, he gets away into the solitude and the hiddenness of this wilderness environment. And I believe that this is so significant to the learning of the hearing of the Spirit, to be able to discern the whisper and to be able to uh, distinguish the whisper from the chaos and the noise and the ambient noise that is the normalities or the normalities, I should say, within the modern domesticated church. And so uh, he sends him and he is going to take care of him. I think it's significant that ravens feed him with meat and bread of the mornings and of the evenings, I think that is kind of relative to the fact that after the 40-day fast in the wilderness for Jesus, angels came and ministered unto him. I would assume that they would minister unto all of his needs. That would uh, pertain to giving him water, giving him food. They took care of the natural uh, necessities or the natural hungers that his body needed. Uh, but I believe that because it came from angelic beings, that there is a notion here that I believe in everything that I am, that through that fast and through that wilderness, through that process, he was stripped of all the carnal appetites that he had being 100% fully human, 100% fully man. Uh, he was dressed in humanity. He had became humanity. So in that 40-day wilderness and that fast, he was removed or, or appetites would shed from him. And as he came through the other side of the temptation victorious, his appetites changed. And angels had to feed him according to the desires of his appetites, which was fixed on heavenly things, spiritual things, supernatural things, um, higher things. So... I believe it's very significant that God sends Elijah into this wilderness environment and he feeds him from the heavens. Uh, they meet his necessities and he drinks from a brook called uh, Cherith, which means cutting. And that's very significant. Uh, and I'll go on in 8 and 9. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get, te get thee to... Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwelleth there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Zarephath, or Zarephath, means refining or refinement. I believe it's significant that he comes out of a place of cutting and into a place of refinement. I believe that it's where God begins to smooth out those those rough edges of the wilderness man. Uh, maybe if I could say, making him more spiritual dynamic, if you will. Um, and then and the scripture goes on to say, and I'm going to paraphrase the rest of it if I can, that he tells this widow who is out gathering sticks to build a fire and cook a cake that her and her son may eat it and die. Uh, that's very significant. Several significant points that I want to try to get through this evening but Elijah tells her wait before you do that make me a cake and then what's left uh, make one for you and your son and the jar and the jug will never go dry the uh, 
uh, the, the wheat or the flour and the oil will never go dry. And uh, so she does this. And, of course, what the man of the Lord said, the word of Elijah came true. It was manifested, came to fruition. And he stayed with the widow and, and the son for some time up in an upper room within her home. And um, so it comes to pass that the son fell sick and died. And then she comes to Elijah saying, hey, you know, is this what, you're, is this what you repay me with? That, you know, for all that I did for you and then, you know, uh, you, uh, you take the life of my son. Or, you know, what, how, how is that even fair? And Elijah takes the son goes up into the upper room, lays him on his bed, and begins to intercede on the behalf of the, the child to God. And, you know, he says, what, what, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? Verse 20, 21, it says, And he stressed himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul soul come into him again and the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived he revived and Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother and Elijah said see thou son liveth and the woman said to Elijah now by this I know I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. And here's really what I want to point out. Uh, the word charith, meaning cutting, is very important. It's uh, very significant. And it's funny that recently I was talking to a computer tech who was going to come and change my computer out at the job I hold. And he said, if there's anything on that computer that you need me to transfer to the other computer, they're transferring, uh, they're, they're upgrading all of our computers from Windows 7 to Windows 10. And he said, if there's anything in that, uh, on that computer, he said, that you need me to save, if it's in or on your desk, desktop, he said, you need, and I may be wrong about this, it may be backwards, but I'm 95 and a half percent sure that he told me if anything is on my desktop that I need to save it to documents. And he said, but if, if you copy and paste it, copy and paste it when we boot your new computer up and you try to open up those files, it won't work. He said, you'll get an error. He said, you have to cut cutting and paste it you have to cut it cut it and paste it from from my computer into documents and he said and then when you open up that document under the new system the new system will recognize it I think that is significant and I think the Lord was using that to speak to me because it was some hours later that, that I began oh actually it was a day later that I began to read and understand that there is a process of cutting that takes place in the wilderness I've used the word shedding, I've used the word removing, uh, maybe even, even replacing, but there's, there's a cutting that takes place in the wilderness, cutting that comes by way of fasting, cutting that comes by way of the wilderness process to where God is, is beginning to recreate you 
for a new season. And I don't necessarily believe in seasons. I don't believe in seasons as they come and go, come and go, come and go. I believe that it is maybe, it, probably I should say or better use or use the word would sound better or agree better instead of seasons, maybe new elevations or new dimensions. But I'm going to use the word seasons. God was creating or he was preparing Elijah for another season. He was creating him or preparing him, getting him ready for a season that was on the other side of this wilderness. On, in, you know, that was a day yet to come. Okay, so there's a season of no rain, but there is getting ready to be a season of rain. And see, Elijah could not go into the season of no rain, come through that season, and enter into the new season of rain the same way that he was initially. So God had to take him into a place where there was a process of cutting to then begin to create him as, as something new so that he would be better recognized in the new dimension or the new season. I really think that's significant and I really appreciate the way that God shows things like that to me. So it kind of helps me be more grateful for the cutting process uh, it still hurts. It just does not hurt as severe as it does when I know that God is cutting on me to prepare me, to ready me for a new season or a new dimension. Because if I try to operate in the new dimension in the same way that I tried to operate in the last dimension, or I try to operate in the new dimension under the same tense that I did in the old season, there will be an error sign. I won't be recognized and I will be rejected in the new dimension I think that's significant and then he takes him to a place called refining uh, to a place called Zarephath and I believe that once you have began once you have been cut on and you went from the place of cutting into the place of refinement it's where God begins to uh, he begins to purify and he begins to refine and he begins to with a delicate touch and a gentle touch begin to shape and mold you into a finished I won't say a finished product but there is a finishing process that needs to take place and uh, if we do not successfully come through the cutting process the finishing process will never have the effect that it is intended to have I believe that that literally Elijah is being prepared for such a greatness but it's a greatness that he can't even fathom himself I really believe that the cutting process into the finishing process gets him into the position to hear and obey and be obedient to the voice it also puts him into a place because in this process he has no other communication by the brook called Chereth, Chereth, excuse me. There's no communication with anyone. The only interaction he has is from ravens that come out of the heavenly dimension or realm, the skies, and feed him. In the process of the, or the finishing process, the only interaction he has is with a widow and her son. And that is pure and undefiled religion according to the New Testament in the epistle of James. That pure religion and undefiled is the, to visit the widows and the fatherless in their afflictions. I really believe that Elijah was a type or a prototype of Christ who came into this 
into this situation. He came into a situation where there was two generations. There was one without a groom and there was another one without a father. And I really believe that the widow represents the church of today. They worship a dead Messiah. They worship a dead Savior. And initially in that, do not adequately or appropriately even worship the living Savior who was dead. Yes, he was. But he lives forevermore. So that, that represents a church that has no hope. A church that their only hope is to die. A church who believes that the only hope for the future generation and the next generation is to die with them. And that is not the church of Jesus Christ. So I believe there is an Elijah, there is a wilderness man that is being called into the situation and into the circumstances of the modern day church to begin to minister to the widow and the fatherless. Because there is a widow church that does not know that she is is she is married she is united in togetherness and oneness with a living groom we worship the God that died on a cross but we fail to worship the groom that was resurrected from the grave and ascended to the the heavenlies to be seated by the throne of God on the right hand he is alive and we need to begin to understand that our Savior and our Messiah the Christ Yeshua himself is not a dead God but a living God and a living forevermore God and something's got to take place Something has got to begin to change and shift her perspective. And then we look at the sun. She literally was picking up sticks to make a fire, make a cake, and die. Listen, we live in a day, we live in an era where the church, or era I should say, where the church has only one hope. They believe there's more hope in dying. They believe that there's more hope or it's a sign of hope that our communities are going to hell in a handbag. Our neighbors are dying left and right from every kind of addiction that we can even think of. Murder and neglect. Uh, and that's a sign of hope to the widow church because she serves a dead groom who has died to her and she is as good as dead herself. So much so that she has convinced a generation that the only hope we have is to die and to get it over with. I'm here to tell you today that there is an Elijah that is getting ready to be unveiled that is going to tell the widow church to stop picking up sticks, get in there and fix the man of God and show appropriate honor to the prophet of God and the man of God and things will begin to manifest. There will be an abundance in a time where everything is scarce. There will be an abundance in a time where everything is limited, where we are on where people are putting themselves on rations, where it's got to get worse before it can get any better. And the only better that we have hope in is the reality of dying. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that I have life and have it more abundantly in him. Amen. So there is a widow generation who thinks that her only hope is to die. Who is failing 
to mentor the next generation into a living hope. There's a difference in a dying hope or a hoping to die and a living hope. A hope that gives me uh, the promise or the faith to live as to today into tomorrow that tomorrow is better. So Elijah, the man that just comes through the process of cutting, then comes into a process of finishing. Why? Because God had to put him, God had to put him through the process of finishing and refining him because there was a moment that in all of this solitary secretiveness and hiddenness that he was going through it was for a reason what was that reason in Elijah's mind he's thinking I just rebuked the clouds and there is no rain in the region so much so that there is a drought so severe that people are ready to die and God has hidden me beside a brook, feeding me out of the mouths of ravens. And now the best he can do is put me in an old raggedy home with a widow that don't have no hope and a son that don't have no daddy and therefore is living and his best hope is to die. Why am I here? It's because the answer to the widow generation... And the fatherless generation is a wilderness father that comes out of a process of cutting into the refinement process so that he can then look into the situation of no hope and declare that there is a hope. Okay? Guess what he does? When the son dies, she begins to cry out to the wilderness father, Elijah. Let's call him a wilderness father. What have you done? Why has your God done this? And in that moment... Elijah takes him himself up into his room, an upper room, and begins to throw himself down upon the young lad three times, crying, Oh my, why have you done this? Have you punished this lady and made her suffer when her son has died? Why have you done this? And the Lord heard him. The Lord heard him. And the scripture says that the boy revived. Many of us are seeking revival. We're chasing revival. But we have failed to adequately recognize from where the revival comes. Yes, it comes from the Spirit and the presence of God. It comes from Jesus. But there has got to be the understanding that there is a man walking through the wilderness who has left everything behind, all the amenities, all the luxuries, all of the comforts of the domesticated norm, norm of society and the westernized a modernized church, a man that was willing to get himself alone in a wilderness situation and a wilderness position, a man who did not think that it was worthless to come and minister himself all that he had to just one woman, a widow, and one child, a father, a, 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 an orphan, a fatherless child. Why? Why? Because there has got to be understood 
that when the wilderness man is obedient to the voice of God who was willing to be hidden away in the solitude of secretiveness, he does not have to perform amazing exploits on Facebook or on social media or on the stage. He has got to be willing and attentive to the whisper of God so that when he finds himself in a situation to where no hope has become a reality of death, he can speak into that situation and he can revive a fatherless generation and awaken a generation to a new hope in Christ I'm preaching a little bit amen and then when he does this and I'm going to close here in just a little bit when he does this the widow the mother looks at the man and in verse 21 and the woman said to Elijah now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth there is only one hope in the day that we live in as far as I can see. It is Jesus. But it is coming through a generation who said, I do not care if God stows me away in the wilderness for X amount of years. I do not care if God hides me away in the desert or he puts me away upon a mountain. And the only thing that I can experience is the pleasure of of his presence then I know it's for a purpose if the only thing that I can experience is the pleasure of his presence then I know it's for a purpose yet to come there is a widowed generation that needs me there is a fatherless generation that needs me both of them are in their own afflictions they are being afflicted by the culture they're being afflicted by their circumstances. They're being so conflicted or afflicted, even conflicted, I should say, by their circumstances and their culture that the only future they see with any shimmer of hope is to die. God tells Jeremiah, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. To prosper you and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. If the gospel does not give me a future hope or a hope in a future, then it is not the good news. And there are too many that even when they cry out for revival are actually crying for a rapture. Let that sink in for a minute. There is a generation within the church that though they cry out for revival, what they actually want is a rapture. They're, they're picking up sticks to prepare a fire so that they can make a cake and then die. But there is a wilderness man coming out of a place called cutting into a place called refinement that is evident, evidence that there is a hope. It is a man, a wild man, a wilderness father that is carrying a hope on the inside of him that when sons begin to die, he can cry out unto the father and the father will show mercy unto a generation and revive them into a new awakening. I believe it's significant and I'm going to go a little bit further that if we skip over, we know that in 18... He comes and he defeats the prophets of Baal and he, uh, cry, he, he calls down fire that uh, 
consumes the altar, licks up the water, just, you know, just consumes the wood. And then, for whatever reason, he becomes fearful of Jezebel, and he runs uh, again into a wilderness. And in uh, verse 8 of 19, Let's go with verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, Elijah, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Look, look at that again, man. There is... There is a heavenly being coming into the reality of where Elijah is, and he feeds him. He touches him. He speaks to him, and he feeds him, man. There is such a beauty and a wonder. There is such an amazement that will be given to you in the wilderness. And verse 6 says, And he looked and beheld, and there was a cake baking on the coals. And a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. We cannot sustain the journey in the wilderness by continuing to partake in the appetites and the, the sustenance of the flesh. The only way, I'm preaching to myself now, the only way that we can make it through the wilderness and be sustained in the wilderness is on a spiritual diet of heavenly revelations, heavenly encounters. Okay. And he arose and did eat and drank and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, or Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Even the greatest wilderness man will become distraught, depressed, and discouraged in the wilderness, thinking of himself alone. I'm all by myself. The world has turned on me. The world has rejected you, God, and there is no hope. He, but, but he fails to realize that he just came out of a finishing season. He just walked through a dimension where he had authority to call down rain. A, a, he, well, first of all, he called down fire. Then he called down rain. So even, even the most spiritual men will have a tendency to fail to appropriately view and see and conceive the wilderness. Okay, so he's he's pretty he pretty distraught, discouraged, and depressed. And he said, and he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not 
he was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still small voice I believe that the time he spent in the process of cutting and in the process of refining or refining it was actually it was actually tuning his heart into the frequency of the still small voice of God. The whisper of Holy Spirit so that he could be attentive only to what was God and what God was speaking. He did not fall for the circus act. He did not fall uh, for the smoke and the lights. He did not fall for the stage personality which I believe is the wind, the earthquake and the fire. God was in none of those. There are many people that will try to counterfeit the presence of God. But only a genuine wilderness man will successfully discern what is and isn't God and be attentive to the whisper. And I believe that is why there is such a necessity and a need for wilderness men in the church today. Those that have spent adequate time in the silence, who have distanced themselves from the ambient noise of society and the ambient noise of a modern domesticated church so that when the whisper of Yahweh comes into their ears, they understand that yes, I am, I, I have been in the place and I have been in the position of the presence. And I have a, I have a deep sensitive discernment. Everything else, that was not God, but yes, this is. That is not God, but oh, how I know this is. There is a significance, there is a necessity, there is a great need for wilderness fathers to rise up, to be attentive to the whisper. What does he do? He says, Behold, and here came a voice unto him and said, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he rose, I have been very jealous for the Lord, God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahalah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. What just happened? Because he was attentive to the whisper in which he developed a hearing to in the refinement process, which came, which which allowed him to come out. He come through the refinement process where it allowed him to uh, develop a keen sense of hearing. Where he came out of the process of cutting, which removed all of those things from him that would hinder him from being successful and hinder him from being effective in the dimension yet to come. Okay, what did all of that do? It inclined him to the whisper. 
It enabled him to be able to be sensitive to the things of the Father so that when he come into a situation where sons were dying, he could speak into that situation and say, sons be revived and God the Father will hear him. The widow church will see the miraculous signs and wonders that come by way of the wilderness man and will say to them and themselves, I know because of this that the word that is in that mouth is true. And then he will be able to call down fire, call down rain, but even when he begins to doubt himself, God will meet him in the wilderness and begin to call him forth. And what happened here? I ask again. He sent him to go call kings and prophets to call sons into the ministry, to call sons into the kingdom. If you're struggling with the wilderness. I say to you tonight. There is hope. Be quiet. Stop chasing. Affirmation of your friends. It will cause you to miss the whisper. That could have detrimental effects. On the future of the kingdom. What God wants to do through you. Will come through a whisper. And if you were attentive on other things besides the whisper, you will miss the small and still voice of God that says, get yourself down and anoint kings and anoint prophets. Anoint sons into the kingdom and anoint sons that will follow you in the way of the ministry because I've got things that I'm going to do. I hope that helps you today. I pray that it does. If it hasn't helped you, I can honestly say that it has helped me because the wilderness has not been an easy process. And going into it, I was aware that it wouldn't be. But there has been times that I've let my faith slip. And I've started to fall and I've started to wonder. W-A-N-D-E-R, so different from W-O-N-D-E-R. And I've had to allow the Lord to help me to go from wondering W-A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G to bring me back into the wonder of his wilderness. The aweness, the spectacularness, the, the glory and the splendor of the wilderness. And there's more that I could go into, but I think that we've, we've talked long enough. We're going 45 minutes, but I pray that this helps you. And I also ask that if it has helped you or that you have questions that you would feel free to contact me and I would be I would be very flattered and uh, humbled at the same time to help in any way that I can God bless our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible However, if you've been affected by God's Word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia 24822. That is Tithely.ly, T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and all that you do today.